Good morning, church. Were you encouraged by worship this morning? I am a child of God. What about you? And as a child of God, I am not bound by fear. I have faith. I have hope. I have love. I have peace. I have joy. Amen. Amen. So before I get into the message, just quickly, it was mentioned that you can start arriving from half past four tonight. You can come a little bit earlier than that. Let's say quarter past four, because we have a lot of people to check in tonight. So the sooner we start, the sooner everyone is inside and we can start at five o'clock. Amen. So we are in December. Can you believe it? The end of the year. And we are officially in the Christmas season. And those of us who love Christmas are excited and happy and now can officially say it's fine to have my Christmas tree up, even though it's been up since beginning of November. No shame. On this first Sunday of December, we're starting this new series called The Great Expectation. And this is a four-week series in which we will reflect on the hope, peace, love, and joy that we have in the season of Advent. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Advent, or maybe you've heard this word before and you're not quite sure what it means, you hear it thrown around this time of year, and you kind of just go along with it. You know, you've got Advent calendars, but what does Advent mean? The word Advent simply means arrival. So the season of Advent, which is traditionally the four weeks before Christmas, is a time of remembering the first arrival of our Savior, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a time of waiting, of expectation, of preparing our hearts and our minds for the celebration of his birth. And at the same time, we are acknowledging that we are expectantly waiting for Christ's return as well. It is a season in which we look back and we look forward with hope and expectation. See, we look back with joy as we celebrate Christ's birth, and we look forward with hope and expectation for what he is still going to fulfill. Now, the tradition during the season of Advent also includes what is known as the Advent wreath, which is what I have here in front of me this morning. This has been a long-standing tradition, mainly followed by the Catholic Church, which then was later adopted by many Christian churches. There's nothing special about this, and it's not something that we are required to do. It is purely symbolic, and its purpose is mainly to encourage us to reflect and refocus on what it is that we are celebrating during the season. Now, each part of this wreath has a meaning. The wreath itself is made up of various evergreens to symbolize the everlasting life. The circle of the wreath has no start and no end, symbolizing God's unending love for us. And even the evergreens that are used in the traditional wreath all have a specific meaning, such as victory over suffering, strength and healing, resurrection. The wreath as a whole is meant to remind us of God's promise of everlasting life given to us through Jesus. And then the candles, they each have a purpose as well. Each candle has its own meaning and it's four candles for four weeks of Advent and one candle is lit each week. So that by Christmas, all the candles are lit. Traditionally, three of the candles are purple which signify, it's a color that signifies royalty, prayer, and sacrifice. 
and then one candle is pink, which signifies joy. The first candle represents hope. It is also known as the prophecy candle, in remembrance of the prophecies that were foretelling of Christ's birth. It represents the expectation felt in anticipating the coming Messiah. The second candle represents peace, also known as the Bethlehem candle, which reminds us of Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem. It also builds on the meaning of the hope candle, the prophecy candle, recalling that after the division and destruction experienced by the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, that a time would come where there would be peace on earth. The third candle represents joy and is also known as the shepherd's candle. It reminds us of the joy that the shepherds experienced and joyfully shared with others. And it reminds us to rejoice and praise. The fourth candle represents love, also known as the angel's candle. And it is a reminder of the ultimate love of God that he sent his son for us. This candle also reminds us to eagerly await the new kingdom of God on earth. And then the fifth candle. This is, it's the middle candle, and it's a modern adaptation. This wasn't part of the very first advent wreath. This has been added fairly recently and it has been added to represent Christ, known as the Christ candle, which represents his life. It is traditionally white to symbolize his purity because he is our sinless and pure savior. Now our wreath doesn't have different colored candles, it's all the same color, and that's okay. You can, have, you can follow the colors of the advent candles or not. The point is, is we're not following it strictly here. We just wanted to have a visual aid during this series so that you have something that you see and reminds you of what it is that we're celebrating the season, what it is that we're talking about. Something to look at and make us think. Now I've given you this overview of the Advent wreath not because that's how you need to follow it, but just so that you have an understanding of the symbolism behind it. This isn't just something pretty we put on stage for you to look at. There's there's significance to it. So that we have an understanding of the symbolism so that when we look at it, we are reminded of what it means. See, sometimes it's good for us to have something to look at, a visual reminder that causes us to think and grounds us to what is truly important. During the Christmas season, it is so easy for us to get caught up in the rush, in the preparations for the festivities, in the gifts, in the decorations, in the family get-togethers and social activities and the selfish desires that we experience during the season. That oftentimes, getting caught up in that rush, we forget and we overlook what is truly important. What it is that the season is really about and in all the fun, chaos and even stress, we forget to sit with God and thank him for all he has done. Thank him for sending his son, for stepping down into our mess to save us and to offer us hope, peace, love and joy. So over the next four Sundays, as you see this wreath on stage, may it cause you to thank God for the hope, peace, love, and joy that he has given you. And as you go about your life during the week, you will inevitably come across Christmas decorations. So every time you see a wreath or a candle, may you be reminded as well. And just take a moment to thank God for what it is that we're celebrating. It's not about the sparkly lights and the pretty decorations and the excitement of gifts and the good food. It's about Jesus, first and foremost. May you be reminded that 
not only are we celebrating his birth, but that we are also expectantly waiting. We are in a season of waiting, filled with a joyful and hopeful expectation as we look ahead for his return. Amen? So this morning, as we're starting the series, we're beginning by looking at hope. The first candle is lit. So is the Christ candle. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is hope. The season of Advent invites us to stop and take a moment and look at the bigger picture, to look at God's plan for salvation, to see how far the story has already come, and to look ahead at where we are going, and to see that throughout history, right now in the present, and in the unknown future, God gives us a reason to hope. Hope is a big part of our lives, isn't it? Not just during Christmas, throughout the year, but it seems that particularly around this time of year, there's an extra amount of hope. We hope that that Christmas bonus is gonna come in. We hope that there will be enough room in the budget for the extra expenses that the season brings. We hope that we will have a restful December and everyone said amen. It's been a tiring year. The kids are hoping that they get that toy or gift that they've been asking for. We hope to have a memorable and enjoyable time with our families and loved ones. We hope that it will be a joyful season. You hope for whatever it is that you're hoping for. There's something that you are hoping for in the season. We hope throughout the year, but this time of year, there's just this extra amount of hope. If it was a difficult year, there is this hope that the year will end on a happier and more joyful note. A hope that the Christmas season will bring us some light. It will brighten up the end of the year. Hope is that glimmer of light in the darkest times that helps us to push through. It is what we hold on to. But we tend to define hope as a feeling of expectation, a desire that something specific will happen, or an optimistic state of mind. But the hope that I am talking about this morning is biblical hope. So when I say hope, it should not be confused with optimism and wishful thinking, but rather the hope that is rooted in our trust in God. Biblical hope is founded on the confident trust that God will keep his promises. See, when we're optimistic, what we're actually doing is we're looking at our situation and we're seeing how it could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not based on our circumstances. When we look at the people, the hopeful people of the Bible, we see that they often faced difficult times with no evidence that things were gonna get better. Yet they chose to hope because their trust wasn't in their circumstances, it wasn't in their ability, it was in their trust in God's promises and his good character. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us hold tightly to that hope that we have because we can trust that God will be faithful. How do we know that God can be trusted to keep his promise? Where does our trust in his character come from? By looking back. The Bible Project Advent Reflections says this about hope. Biblical hope relies on God's character as a basis for trusting that the future will be better than the present. The more we get to know God's character, the more hope we have. God's past faithfulness motivates 
hope for the future because we can remember God is consistent and trustworthy. Hope can exist in the darker seasons when we look to him. We can hold on to hope because God has proven that he can be trusted, amen? When we look back, when we reflect on the birth of Jesus, we see God's faithfulness. We see that he fulfills his promises and we see that he can indeed be trusted. So this morning, I want to look at three aspects of hope and we're going to do this by looking at the hope that Simeon had. Simeon is a part of the Christmas story, but maybe you're not quite sure who I'm talking about because he's not in your traditional Christmas characters in the uh, telling of the Christmas story. The story we look at tends to be of the night of the birth, the, the moments leading up to it, the nativity scene. But Simeon enters the story a few days later. When Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. So we're gonna read in Luke chapter two, verses 25 to 35. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fail, to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, we don't know much about Simeon, other than he was an old man, he was devoted to God, and he was waiting expectantly for the Messiah. But in this passage, we can learn some things from Simeon about living a life of hope. So we're gonna look at three aspects from the story, three aspects of hope, and the first one is this, how we hope. We know that Simeon had hope because the scripture says that he was eagerly waiting. Hope is waiting. It is an expectant waiting, an anticipation. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words which are translated as hope, and both of them mean to wait for or to wait. One of these words is the word kava, which is related to the Hebrew word kav, which means a cord. Now, when you pull a cord tight, you cause tension. There is a state of tension in that cord. It is waiting until there is some release, but while it's being held, there's a state of tension. And that is what kavar means. It's that feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. We are in a state of tension between what has already happened and what is still going to happen. That cord is being pulled tight and we are in that hopeful expectation, that tension of what is still to come. We are waiting for something to happen. There's anticipation, there's excitement, there's tension. And we are waiting for what has been promised so in our waiting, in our hope, we prepare ourselves. 
See, Simeon waited. He hoped for the day that he would see the promised Messiah. He lived a devoted and righteous life. He spent his time praying, talking to God and being led by him. He obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. When he was in the temple, he was aware of his surroundings. He was looking for something. He was anticipating. And so when he saw Mary and Joseph walk in with the child, they didn't announce, this is Jesus. They were just minding their own business, bringing their son to be dedicated. And Simeon saw that baby and he knew who that baby was. He looked at the baby Jesus and he knew that that was his hope fulfilled. Simeon didn't have a passive hope. He, wasn't, he didn't just have wishful thinking. He had a hope that was founded in the trust that God will do as he had promised. He was expectant to see what he was hoping for. See, how we hope is important. It will determine how we live and how we wait. In his waiting, Simeon lived a righteous and devoted life. And we should as well. As we hope and wait for Christ's return, Peter instructs the church, that means you and I, all of us here, to live righteously and devoted as well. Second Peter chapter three, verses 11 to 13, he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In our waiting, we need to live lives in our lives in a way that honors God. We need to live with that expectation for what we are waiting for, but we don't just wait. We prepare ourselves so that like Simeon, when it happens, we recognize it. We don't need to be told that it's happening. We can see it for ourselves. We know that it's happening because we have been preparing ourselves for it. How we hope determines how we live and wait. And how we hope is informed by the next two aspects I'm gonna talk about. Point number two is why we hope. See, there was a reason for Simeon's hope. And that reason was that God had made him a promise. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now we need to understand this was not an isolated promise, but it was a promise that was tied in to the promise that God had made to Israel. Scripture says that Simeon was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. This wasn't his personal desire a hope that God would send a savior. It was an expectation of the fulfillment of the promise that God had given his people. See, like Simeon, we also have promises to hold on to. We have reason to hope. Promises that give us a reason to be filled with hope when circumstances tell us otherwise, when circumstances tell us that it's hopeless. We have a reason to hope because we have seen how God has been faithful and therefore we know that he will remain faithful. We have seen that God, God's timing is not our timing. I spoke about that a few weeks ago. But we know that if he said it, he will do it. And that gives me reason to hope. What about you? The situation around me might not always look that promising, but I can still have hope even in the darkest of times because I know that if God said it, he will do it. Simeon had a hope that filled him because Simeon had a promise that filled him with hope. 
And we have a promise that fills us with hope, a renewed heaven and earth filled with peace, where we will live with our heavenly father and sin and death will be defeated. That is a pretty good reason to hope. But we may find ourselves wondering, as I'm sure many in Simeon's time did, will this promise ever be fulfilled? Simeon held on to the promise for the Messiah that had been made centuries earlier. Yet after all that time, he was hopeful, but I'm sure many others who were once hopeful slowly started to become despondent and probably thought, maybe God forgot about his promise to us to send the Messiah. I mean, we've been waiting for so long. Could it still happen after all this time? Now, I'm sure that in your own waiting, in hoping for God to answer, that when it starts to take longer than expected, you begin to question if God is going to come through. But our hope is not based on our circumstances. The reason for our hope is God's faithfulness. See, we need to understand that the nation of Israel had been waiting a really long time. And when I say a really long time, I'm not talking about a couple of months or maybe even a couple of years. The time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament is 400 years, which means that the promise of a Messiah had been made centuries before. Yet Simeon did not allow this prolonged season of waiting to minimize his hope. He had been promised that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. After centuries of a promise that has gone unfulfilled, I'm pretty sure that he could have laughed this off and thought, yeah, right. After hundreds of years of not seeing this promise, you're telling me I'm going to see it now. But he didn't. Instead, he waited expectantly, filled with hope that he would indeed see the Messiah. Why? Why was he so sure? Why was he so hopeful? Because of our third point. Because his hope was placed in the right person. See, where we place our hope is important. Simeon placed his hope in God and in Jesus, the promised Messiah. His hope wasn't placed in how he felt, in the situation his nation was in, in whether things were going well or not. He placed his hope in the one who made the promise. And when he saw Jesus, he saw the one in whom he had placed his hope. We saw that in Luke chapter two, verses 29 to 32, that Jesus, he took Jesus in his arms and he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. His words about Jesus point to the truth that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is hope fulfilled and that he is the hope for all nations. I just quickly wanna make a, a comment on what he had said to Mary at the end of the, the chapter, where he said to her, a sword will pierce your very soul. What he was pointing to, what he was referencing is what happened on the cross. See, we cannot imagine the pain that Mary felt as she watched her side die on that cross. But we know that the anguish that she experienced wasn't the end of the story. Jesus' birth brought hope. His death and his resurrection brought hope. And his promised return gives us hope. Jesus is our hope. It is in Jesus where our hope should be placed. 
Pastor Matt Chandler says this, where you place your hope is imperative to your experience of joy. Where you place your hope is imperative to your experience of joy. You see, when your hope is in the wrong place, in the wrong thing, in the wrong person, when things don't go your way, you feel an array of emotion, frustration, anger, sadness, feelings of hurt, disappointment, whatever. You know the emotions you feel when things don't go your way. But when our hope is in Jesus, we are anchored, we are secure, and even if things don't go as expected, we don't lose hope because it wasn't placed in things or people who can fail us, but our hope is placed in an unfailing savior. So the joy that we experience this Christmas season should not be dependent on whether you have all your loved ones around you, whether you're able to spend a little more and get the toy that your kid has been telling you they really want, whether you get that present that you have not so subtly been hinting at, whether this Christmas season turns out the way that you hoped or not, the joy that you experience should not be dependent on how it turns out. But the joy we experience this season comes from where we place our hope, Jesus Christ. That's where we get our joy. So whether your table at Christmas time is filled with all your loved ones, whether you have everything that you wanted this year or not, you can still experience true joy this season because our hope is in Jesus, not in material things. It's not circumstantial. Where you place your hope is imperative to your experience of joy. I wanna close this morning with Romans chapter 15, verse 13, which says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope. Our hope does not run out when our hope is in the right place, in the right person. So may your hope be placed in the one who can overflow you with hope, so that, that in this season of waiting, in this kavar, in this tension that we are, are in between what has happened and what is still to happen, that we can have an expectant hope secure in Jesus. Amen. This is a brief introduction to the series, a brief message on hope, because we have an event tonight. I didn't want to keep you guys too long. But I hope that this message on hope is an encouragement to you, gives you something to hold on in the season. That as you look at this wreath, as you see the candles, as you see the wreaths, as you see the Christmas decorations, you remember that Jesus is the reason for the season and that your hope will be placed in him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. So Father, we thank you that as we enter the season of Advent, that we can turn our attention to you. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be focused on you, that we won't get caught up in the rush of the season, in all the distractions and the materialistic things, Lord, but that we'll be grounded on your truth, on your word, on the hope that you give us. I pray, Lord, that you, the God of hope, will fill us with joy and with peace in this season, that our trust in you, Lord, will keep us secure and that we will have this overflow of hope in our lives, that whether things are going our way or not, Lord, we will hold on to this hope 
and have this joyful expectation for what is to come, knowing that what you have promised, you will fulfill, knowing that you have been faithful in the past, you are faithful today, Lord, and even in the unknown future, you will remain faithful. You, Lord, are the reason for our hope. You are the one in whom we place our hope. And because of that, Lord, in every season, we can have hope. So Father, I pray that you will take us out into this week, that you will bless us and keep us, that your protection will be upon us, that you will guide us in all we do, Lord. And I pray, Father, that tonight we will have a blessed time as we fellowship with one another, socializing, enjoying the items that the kids are going to perform. As we spend some time singing carols, Lord, I pray that we will just have this wonderful time together as we remember what it is that we are celebrating and thanking you, Lord, for all you have done and all you're going to do. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week. Those of you who booked tonight for tonight, we'll see you in a few hours for a wonderful time together. Amen. And have a blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.